Greetings, everyone. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church. It's great to be with you again. In our study of the Gospel of Matthew, we are in a section that focuses exclusively on Jesus' miracles. There are 10 distinct miracles in Matthew chapters 8 and 9. And as you pay close attention, you will come to realize that these are not just random miracles. Jesus is not just showing off his powers to impress people. The miracles serve as a sign. Through these miracles, Jesus is demonstrating that the kingdom of God has arrived. Clearly, Jesus battles against the forces that oppose God's kingdom and brings them under his authority. Disease, unruly forces of nature, demonic powers, sin, and even death. Jesus overthrows them one by one. Today, we will be finishing this section of Matthew, and next weekend, we will move on to a new theme from Matthew's gospel. And I also want you to know that towards the end of this message, I'll be leading you in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. So have a piece of bread and juice ready so you can participate in this worship experience. All through the series, we've been hearing about the coming of God's kingdom. Yet here is a dilemma that confounds all of us. If these opposing forces are defeated, shouldn't they just give up the fight and surrender? Why are these forces still active today? Our world continues to face the onslaught of disease, natural disasters, demonic forces, as sin continues to abound, and the last time I checked, the death rate hasn't changed. So you may wonder, how has Jesus conquered these forces? If they are still active, how can we reconcile this with Christ's victory? The response to this question takes us back to what I referred to at the beginning of the series, the already and not yet dimensions of God's kingdom. And there is a sense that the kingdom has already arrived through the coming of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, here is the paradox. We wait for the full consummation of God's kingdom. See, we live in this tension between the already and the not yet. But keep in mind, Christ's authority over these enemies assures us that they have been defeated in principle and we will see the full effects of this victory when Jesus returns. Today, I'm going to talk to you about another rival that all of us have in common. An enemy that brings despair and doom like nothing else. It reminds us that our life here on earth is temporary. We all have come under its sentence. We all are terminal cases. And our common enemy is death. You are going to die. Now let that sink in for a moment. You are going to die. The sun will rise one day and the birds will be chirping and you will not be there to see it. 
That can be a distressing thought. Death is a long-standing foe of humanity. It is a horrible intruder. It was not part of God's original plan. Oh, one look at a dead person, it tells you that this isn't right. We were not created by God to die. Now, all week long, I've been pondering over this subject of death. Oh, many of you know Nabil Qureshi, who came to faith in Christ from a Muslim background and went on to become a powerful Christian apologist. Oh, he passed away from cancer just over three years ago. And Nabil and I were born the same year. And both of us heard the gospel also the same year in 2001. It took me only a few months to become a Christian. It took him a few years. It feels not long ago when I drove Nabil around Calgary in my minivan. We had dinner at the food court in Chinook Mall. And I spent the weekend with him as he ministered here in our services at Center Street Church. And just like a flash of lightning, his life came to an end. And then this week you heard another giant of the faith, Ravi Zacharias, went home to be with the Lord. Now I had the privilege of meeting Ravi a number of years ago in India. And he is one of those heroes of faith that I have looked up to all these years. And he deeply influenced me, especially in the formative stages of my ministry. Now he is no more. And this issue is closer to home as I have been walking with my wife who lost three loved ones in just within a space of two years. And I have seen her go through the varying stages of grief. Death inflicts loss. And that is why death is an enemy, not a friend, not a comrade, but clearly death is an adversary. The good news I want to share with us today is Jesus has already exercised his decisive authority over death. The enemy has been comprehensively defeated. Yes, death is still present in our midst, but the sting of death has been removed. Death no longer reigns. Jesus does. Now we're going to look at a text from Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 26. So I'm going to ask you to stand wherever you are as we honor the reading of God's word. And while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue, 
the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. Let's pray. Lord, we quieten our hearts today to hear from you. For we know we all are confronted by this enemy called death. And we pray today as we hear the truth of your word that we will be set free from the fear of death. That our hope in you will be renewed. And you would draw us into a deeper walk with you. So we give this time, Lord, to the leading of your spirit. Come and minister to us, we pray, in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. There's a popular poem that is read in funerals. It's called, Death is Nothing at All. The poem presents the narrator as dead, and through this poem, the dead person is speaking to those who are dearly missing him. And this is how the poem starts. Death is nothing at all. I have only slipped away to the next room. I am I and you are you. Whatever we were to each other, that we are still. Now ponder these words for a moment. This may be a popular poem, but it is so inaccurate in its portrayal of death. Death is nothing at all. Are you kidding me? A dead person doesn't just slip away to the next room. The poem's claim that the dead person is still the same makes no sense. The dead person is no longer the same. If they were the same, they wouldn't be dead. And you cannot relate with a dead person like you used to. Something has changed significantly. Poems like these just reflect our contemporary perspective of death. We downplay it, ignore it, soften it. And even though we know that we are not exempt, we wear these blindfolds and not think about it. It doesn't matter whether we put it off our minds, ignore it altogether, or focus our thoughts on something else. It doesn't change the fact that death is a relentless enemy that's pursuing us and will eventually get us one day. The only exception will be the generation when Jesus returns. They will not face death, but surely the rest of us will. So how do we face this enemy? How do we live confidently in light of our own mortality? Our text gives us the answers. Now look at verse 18, the opening verse of our text. While he, Jesus, was saying this, you know, that tells you a little bit about the context of what's happening here. Jesus was just giving a little talk about the nature of the kingdom. 
And here he has an opportunity to put that teaching into action. So while Jesus was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. We have a parallel passage that talks about the same incident in Mark's gospel as well as Luke's gospel. Matthew only gives us a condensed version of the story. So Mark chapter 5 is helpful as it offers us some of those additional details. Mark identifies the synagogue leader as Jairus. You know, in modern terms, Jairus is like the board chair of a church. He commanded the respect of everyone in the community. He's a well-to-do man, a man of distinction. He belonged to the higher strata of the society. Jairus had a family, a wife, and a beautiful little daughter. His only daughter, says the Gospel of Luke. So Jairus and his family were living the good life. But unknown to them, there was an enemy lurking behind. Things came to a sudden halt when Jairus' family is hit by a crisis. Their little daughter, their precious daughter, all of a sudden becomes sick. And before they knew, she's in the, on the verge of death. Jairus was about to go through what no parent should ever go through. His sweet daughter, his beloved little girl was dying and his world was falling apart. Now in Mark's gospel, when you read in Mark chapter 5, Jairus, when he approaches Jesus, he says his daughter is nearing death. So he asks Jesus to come and heal her. They later receive another message from the household that the daughter had just died. Now in this condensed version of the story, Matthew eliminates some of those details and presents the daughter as dead. In this desperate situation, faced with a dire need, Jairus comes to Jesus on his knees and begs him for a miracle. Remember, Jairus was an influential man. But he forgets about his status and ego and goes down on his knees in public, which is very unusual in that culture. The situation was critical and Jairus desperately needed help. Now Jesus responds to the request and walks with Jairus towards his house. Now at this point in the story, when the readers are wondering what is going to happen next, all of a sudden, there is an interruption. Look at verses 20 and 21. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, now these are profound words of faith. If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. So there was a woman in the crowd following Jesus and she had suffered from a bleeding disorder for 12 long years. 
Life had been hard for this woman. The constant flow of blood would have made her weak and anemic. According to Mark's gospel, she sought medical help, but instead of her health improving, it only turned worse because the doctors merely exploited her. Not only was her health going down, but so was her bank balance. Now keep in mind, hers was not just a physical malady, but according to the Jewish Old Testament laws, this woman was also ceremonially unclean. A woman with an ongoing discharge of blood, according to the book of Leviticus, would have been practically excluded from all forms of communal life. Even her own family would have disowned her. In an unashamed culture, that's one of the worst things that could happen to a woman. The woman had lost her money, was in physical discomfort, bearing a load of shame, and looked down by everybody. And when this woman realized that Jesus was coming to town, that was her only opportunity for healing, her only source of hope, her last shot at recovery. So here we have Jairus, this great and influential synagogue leader, a well-known man in the community, a role model. And here is this marginalized woman who is looked down by everyone in the community. And both of them are facing a dire situation and they find that they land at the same place, the feet of Jesus. The woman with hopes of healing snuck into the crowd that was following Jesus. The very next moment, she does the unthinkable, something prohibited, an action that can bring grave consequences. In her unclean state, she reaches out and touches the rabbi. Now look at Jesus' response, verse 22. Jesus turned and saw her. Rather than words of rebuke, this is what Jesus says. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Did you see what Jesus called this woman? He addressed her as daughter. The only woman in the four Gospels whom Jesus addressed in that way. Notice this. He did not call her daughter of Jerusalem or daughter of Abraham. He did not call her woman, a word that he used to address his own mother. Instead, he called her daughter. This lady who had been an outcast unclean, second class, marginalized, and looked down by the entire world is now a daughter of Jesus. Her impurity had been removed. Her suffering came to an end. Her status was restored, and she was now part of God's great family. Dr. Abraham Kuruila, in his commentary, points out two daughters in Israel were ill that day. One had a powerful father who beseeches Jesus for healing, but the lowly woman has no one to represent her. 
but God himself champions her cause and adopts her as his own daughter. So after this encounter with this woman, Jesus continues with Jairus towards his house. Look at verses 23 and 24. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. So as Jesus and his disciples arrive at Jairus' house, they see professional mourners wailing. Funerals were noisy in that culture. You know, it is true today in so many other parts of the world, quite opposite to our funerals here in North America. Now, I've seen professional mourners in India, and they're paid to do this job. So picture the scene at Jairus' house. There was loud weeping and crying and wailing. And Jesus looks at those people who are crying, and he says to them, the little girl is sleeping. Well, the truth is, she was dead. Not appeared to be dead, not in a state of coma. She was dead, and everyone in the house knew about that. But from Jesus' point of view, it was mere sleep. Because soon, he was going to wake her up. The mourners did not exercise faith. So they mocked at the words of Jesus. They laughed. And Jesus ordered them to leave. And the word used there is cast out. It's the same word used of Jesus and driving out demons. So this is strong language. Jesus says to them, go away, get out of here. And look at what happens next. Verse 25. Now this is Matthew's version. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. Now look at what Mark has to say in Mark chapter 5 verse 41. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Notice here, Jesus takes her by the hand. Jesus' love and tenderness are on full display. But Jesus, as we know, we found through these miracles, has authority to just speak and make things happen. All he had to do was to just speak from far and Jairus' daughter would wake up and would have accomplished the same results. But Jesus adds that personal touch. The one who created the world, the one who brought the galaxies into existence, this great God who holds the entire universe in his palm, takes this little girl by her hand. And Jesus spoke to the dead body of a 12-year-old 
words of life. Talita kum. These words are in Aramaic, the language that Jesus spoke. Interestingly, even though the New Testament is written in Greek, these two words are quoted in Aramaic because it made a significant impact on those who heard it. So they left it as it is rather than translating it. And Pastor Tim Keller shares a fascinating insight here. Talitha is a pet name. It literally means little lamb. An endearing term a mother would use to address her daughter. It's similar to the word honey. Kum means wake up, arise. Talitha kum is the word a parent would use to wake up their children in the morning. Honey, it's time to get up. Jesus is staring at death. This is the greatest enemy of humanity. For death always has the last laugh. So Jesus is taking on a ginormous enemy here. And he's not sweating bullets. He's not rolling his sleeves for a battle. He's not nervous. There are no signs of panic. Jesus gently takes her hand and wakes her up like from a good night's sleep. And the dead girl stood up and came back to life. Just a little while ago in that household, There was weeping and mourning and crying. And now the entire household was rejoicing and celebrating and worshiping because Jesus entered into a funeral and turned it into a party. You know, a few years ago, I spoke on this very story on a different sermon series from Mark's gospel. That week, I got a message from a man. He told me how he came to faith in Christ through the ministry of our church. He had lived a rough life, a life of absolute brokenness. But Jesus intervened and radically transformed him. He then shared with me how he and his wife had just had a baby, a baby girl. And they were so touched by this message that they gave their newborn daughter the name Talitha. The parents asked me if I would be willing to dedicate their child. And I tell you, that was an absolute honor. I said yes, and we had an amazing dedication service where we prayed and dedicated little Talitha to the Lord. And it struck me very vividly. Rather than being raised in an environment of brokenness and strife. Talitha is now raised in a Christian home, surrounded by Christian community, discipled in the ways of Jesus. That is the transforming power of the gospel of Christ. Now, how does the story of Jairus and his daughter apply to us today. A child 
that loses the hand of the parent in a crowded place will panic. It is an absolutely frightening experience for a little child. However, as long as the child feels the touch of the parent, they know they are safe, whether it is crowded or they're walking in the dark. Even if the setting is unfamiliar, the familiar touch of the parent soothes their nerves. See, death is inevitable. But this is what we know and believe as Christians. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we are not alone. Jesus is holding our hands. And as frightening as this may seem, because we feel his touch, we know that we are safe and everything will be okay. The one who you trusted will not leave you at the time you need him the most. He will walk with you as you make this transition from earth into eternity. And consequently, death is not something we are afraid of. There's the fear of death all around us today. The number of deaths caused by COVID-19 globally is nearing 350,000. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, we can display this remarkable confidence in the face of death because death doesn't have the final say. The raising of Jairus' daughter is a preview. It was a pointer to Jesus' own resurrection. For he conquered the grave and defeated death hands down. And not just that, he paved the way for all who trust in him to be resurrected back to life. Death still strikes. It is still an enemy, but it's a defeated enemy. Death doesn't have the final laugh. The great declaration of the Christian faith is because Jesus lives, we shall live also. The resurrection of Jesus serves as a climax. It is the ultimate sign of victory over all the forces that oppose God. Going back to the question that I raised in the beginning of this message. How do we reconcile Christ's victory with the fact that these opposing forces are still active today? And my response is the resurrection of Christ. Christ's resurrection is the ultimate evidence of the dawn of a new kingdom. It is God's pledge that the rest of creation will undergo a transformation like Jesus, that this mortal body of ours will be replaced with a body like Christ that will never perish. That is the culmination of our hope, and that hope removes the sting of death and announces to the world loudly and clearly that 
death has been trampled underfoot and will one day be removed from the face of the earth. 